0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Cointel Bros. I am one of your hosts, son, joined by my co-host, Zero. Um, if you are not new to this, we call him DJZ. Um, yeah, <laughs> welcome, welcome, <laughs> welcome to the Fringe family. Put your tinfoil hat on, and if you enjoy what you hear in this free hour, uh, make sure to check us out on Patreon at Cointel Bros Media. Um, where you can pay $5 a month to listen to us ramble for another hour and, um, spill some juicy secrets on some conspiracy stuff that we know about. Um, along with that, for, uh, that extra hour, you also get to hang out in our discord chat and you are able to contribute to the conversation. Um, Yeah. But let's jump in today. We're talking about Hollywood. Um, what is Hollywood? What are they actually used for? Who was affiliated with them? Why is there so much weird, creepy, obscure shit always going down with Hollywood? But yeah, let's let's jump right in.
1: So, um, the idea of Hollywood being synonymous with the film industry uh, started in like the 19 teens, basically. So if you go back in the day around that time, like the 1910, around that that era, uh, everyone's favorite uh, asshole inventor, Thomas Edison, had pretty much all of the patents for uh, motion picture bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. And at the time, a lot of the movie industry was uh, located on the East Coast, like New York, New Jersey type of shit. That's where Thomas Edison was, that general area. So all the movies of that time were taking place there. And it was all really heavily controlled by Thomas Edison and people started trying to do their own thing, but Thomas Edison wouldn't let them because he wanted control of everything that was happening with motion <laughs> pictures. So people started defying him and then he would hire like Pinkerton esque dudes to come and fuck their shit up and, you know, take the cameras and sue them and all that bullshit. So people started trying to get farther and farther away from New Jersey and from Thomas Edison as they could And then in the 19 teens, they ended up in California. Um, That proved to be one of the only areas that was sort of far enough away to where Thomas Edison and all of his cronies couldn't really fuck with them that hard. And then also they ended up staying because they realized with the uh, the geography and just the general climate they could do a lot more outdoor shooting. They could be in different set locations very quickly. They could do more stuff outside, which wasn't dependent upon lighting and stuff like that. So it made it a lot easier at the time to do this type of filming that that they were doing. Because, again, this is, you know, way, way, way early on in the motion picture, uh, the history of motion pictures, we'll say. Mm-hmm. And then there was an area of Los Angeles called Hollywood that was sort of up and coming and it was pretty quiet. It was pretty chill and it just had huge tracts of land available. And so these, uh, motion picture companies who started to have their eyes on California and their eyes on the greater Los Angeles area started to get studios and get offices and stuff like that. And then they were very integral in the development of Hollywood as its own area. Mm -hmm. And so since it was being developed at the time, it was very cheap. It was very easy to bring people out there. It was very easy for the film industry to sort of take over that general area. And it was very Mm -hmm. easy for the film industry and people involved in film to have a lot of sway with the, the local politics. So they, They had a decent amount of control over the cops, over the politicians. They were bringing in a lot of money. They were bringing in a lot of people like the film industry built up greater Los Angeles, specifically Hollywood and the politicians and the, you know, the, the people involved in the municipality itself recognized that and really catered to this growth because it quickly became one of the richest areas in the country. And with the rise of motion picture, like movies and stuff, then you sort of have this golden age of cinema where you have these very lavish people and there's just money being thrown around everywhere and everyone fucking loved it. And then, you know, you sort of get into modern cinema now where it is, has let Los Angeles and Hollywood specifically become like one of the richest places in the world. Like, you know, (laughs) yeah, and that's, the really quick broad strokes of the the history of of Los Angeles or not Los Angeles of 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 Hollywood basically yeah. was you know they were just trying to escape Thomas Edison so they went out there and and then they were able to influence a lot of California law um, because yes. because the 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 people involved in the film industry you know they were making california thing and they were making los angeles and hollywood a thing and the people who were in charge of the the legal system out there recognized that and wanted to keep them there wanted to keep that money in that community
0: right yeah so yeah going back to even like the 20s and 30s a lot of this was like state sponsored corporate sponsored and government sponsored And interestingly, a lot of, um, big agencies such as the CIA or the FBI have invested trillions of dollars into the making of films or into, um, donors pockets. And it's, that is, that's actually really interesting to me, but you're right. Um, going back to the sixties, which is, I guess, kind of like where my research started, um, I was doing some digging on Walt Disney and Disney and Paramount and Pixar. And there's a lot more than meets the eye. Um, I'm going to go on a very like quick tangent on Walt Disney because his history and that's worthy of a whole episode because this dude's life was fucking crazy. He was crazy. He made he, he basically had a totalitarian government within his own um in his own employment, right? So he did not allow any of the men to wear mustaches, but he himself did. And he was really abusive. He stole a lot of ideas, but even more than that, um, close friends said that he was into like really weird snuff porn and like kids and creativity and magic and captivating the minds of younger people. And he was really uh, close with Reagan um, and he was actually close with a lot of policymakers um, in that area. So when he got together with Hollywood, um, which actually before Hollywood became really popular, either local citizens or people that kind of knew of Hollywood would actually call them Babylon or Sin City um, because it was very hyper-violent, hyper-sexualized. Um, sin was... Praised there for some reason right but the thing is, is if you go back and listen to our sex magic or even our real and Orgone episodes um, we discuss how creativity lies in the darker parts of your body bar- in your body um, I recommend looking at the Kabbalah tree of life and there is a sephirah called Doth which is the 10th sephirah and occultists believe that if tapped into uh, you can basically control your reality. You can control your own will. You can control the wills of others. And since Disney, Walt Waltz specifically, not the corporation that he created, um, was really into magic and creativity and children, um, and he has a really weird past. It's so hard to talk about Hollywood and Disney without talking about pedophilia rings and the reason why molestation and just really abhorrent events happen there but it's important to talk about as uncomfortable as it is because um they knew that if you could enact the most disgusting things that you can think of you actually tap into a greater sense of creativity and free will um but going back to like policy making that like that was all in line with the abuse because the cia sponsored a lot of films um, especially world war like around world war ii Um, even prior to world war ii there was a lot of propaganda being just thrown into films um and you know we don't even have to talk about the past to understand it we can even talk about 9 11 which only happened a few years ago The amount of films that came out within the first like three months post 9 11, post anthrax (laughs) was crazy. Um, And if you look at these films and who funded them, it was mostly policymakers and it was a lot of bigger corporations and it was usually state and state government sponsored. Um, And yeah, I want to ask. You know, if you were in control of the world or if you were a part of the Bilderberg Committee or the UN, how would you easily sway and manipulate masses? And I think the simple answer is, well, you you brainwash them into creating a loyalty to something abhorrent. It's Stockholm Syndrome on a global scale, you know. Um I'll go back also to different sponsors and I think people should question and look into why NASA was a huge friend of Hollywood. Um, during the Apollo missions, they actually reached out and they were like, and we talked about NASA. I think that was our two two episodes ago, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, I was talking about how NASA's team very foolishly gave us this excuse that none of these tapes exist of the, you know, the first rocket leaving Earth into past, uh, you know, certain atmospheres. Um, And they claim to have destroyed the tapes and that they were accidentally taped over. And you can go and watch these videos of the person saying this. I have his name here, but I don't want to flip through notes because my pages are loud. (laughs) And... um, But basically, NASA was like, it's okay, citizens of America. We are going to call up our buddies over at Hollywood, and they're going to recreate the events almost better than how they actually happened. So you will receive a crisp and clean recreation of us going to the moon, (laughs) which I don't know. I think you have to be like a blind person to not see the fishiness in that scenario. All of this to say that I think that if you are a policymaker, you don't necessarily have the public's interest at heart. You are running a for-profit organization and a lot of whatever you're going to receive is is going to go directly into your bank, your wallet, your pockets. And um, yeah, I, I guess those are like the big questions that I, I guess I want people to keep in their mind going into this um, because Hollywood is a really vague topic, we could discuss really anything about any sector, but I think the underlying, um, question that everyone should be asking is why the fuck are there so many trillionaire eugenicists <laughs> that are benefiting and also giving, um, to Hollywood and the films, um, I could list off just like a few films post 9-11 that came out to sway public mass to really hate people from the Middle East. You know, like Zero Dark Thirty or Flight 93, Black Hawk Down or Argo or literally like any war movie. Right. And a lot of these directors are like, we want to captivate the hearts and the minds of the public. But that's a really, really pretty sugarcoating way to say we know the powers of rhythm and how to simultaneously make people's heads bop up and down. We know how to simultaneously make people's emotions kind of streamlined. And that is a lot of the research done from MKUltra, which was also a CIA and FBI experiment that was denied for decades. And prior to MKUltra, there were the gateway experiments which were like, hey, if we blast a certain type of frequency at a biological organism, we can alter the way it responds and reacts to its reality. Not only that, but we could also influence this mind to believe what they're seeing is false or real. Meaning if you are staring at a pink cloud Someone could alter your mind waves and the frequency at which you see and hear and experience and turn that cloud into a different color or turn it into something other than a cloud. This research was heavily, heavily funded, probably more than any other research since the 20s and 30s. And it goes to show when you see someone eating McDonald's or drinking Coca-Cola in a (laughs) multi-billion revenue movie, I, I don't know some pretty nefarious stuff. That's what I have to say about policymakers, and where you, the money's going. Um, <laughs>
1: so yeah, like going what
0: do you have to say about
1: my rant. Oh, uh, your rant is going to stand by itself, but <clears throat> like going to like, if you bring up like a lot of like the world war one stuff is when a lot of the big propaganda arm of Hollywood really sort of became a thing. And mm-hmm. you know, especially around that time, um, uh, radio and radio dramas were also still in the mix yeah. so what would happen uh, back in the earlier days of of hollywood is if you were an entertainer you were essentially owned by the studio and they controlled and dictated pretty much all of your life um mm-hmm. th- You know, some people had like arranged marriages and things like that, but a lot of times it would be, they controlled every aspect of your day. And so if you were like a film star, you would also do a lot of radio stuff too, and you would go back and forth and you do whatever they they told you to. So Mm -hmm. when we get into wartime propaganda and wartime stuff, what would happen would be the government would approach different studios in Hollywood and would essentially say, look, make us some recruitment stuff, make us some good PR stuff
0: in -hmm. return. We'll
1: give you guys some cash to make your movies. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of what had happened for a decent amount of world war one and world war two. It was just a lot of either the government straight up having Hollywood make commercials for them. Or if there were any type of media that involved the military, it was always portraying the military in a good light. And normally either the government would be involved with the funding or as you see later on, like when we get into like some Vietnam stuff or like Cold War, especially there were just straight up government officials as executives on the board for like Warner Brothers and Paramount and stuff like that. So all of these these big production houses were very closely linked to different government agencies or the you know, the larger American government as a whole because they were. Um, both very openly and also sort of secretly working as the propaganda arm for the American military. Um, So not Mm -hmm. only, you know, like I said, not only were they shooting just direct like recruitment commercials and having big stars say like, join the American army, we're the best. But then also in any film, we were always the good guys. When we get into the Cold War stuff, especially, that was when shit started to get really crazy with what we were doing openly And what we were doing covertly with our filmmaking, um, especially when you get into some civil rights type of stuff. So Mm -hmm. what would happen is when they were casting extras and when they were filming in general, they made it a point to include a lot of black people in their films. And the idea was to show black people living quote, ordinary normal lives in order to combat the soviet propaganda that focused on racial inequality in america so for instance you would watch a movie and there would be a scene in a bar and there would be a black guy sitting at the bar and then in the mind of the government they're saying well look if we portray like black people being able to sit at the bar then that means that they're the same as everybody else and like and no one's pointing out there's a black guy there it's all you know we're combating the, the idea that we're super racist, even though we yeah. were and still are, but you know, so that was like a big, a big kind of a subliminal campaign that was happening where they would have women and they would have minorities as a lot of extras in mm-hmm. order to, to say that we weren't as divided as we re- We really were also during yeah. this time, um, any story that Remotely had to do with uh, military policy or like foreign policy or anything, had to be okayed by the American government.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And Mm -hmm. if they did not agree with the sentiment of the film, or if they thought that the message or parts of the dialogue or whatever would go against national policy or the direction we were trying to go in they would either force them to rewrite the film or they would just straight up can it and cancel the project. Yeah. Yeah. And they had that kind of sway because they were secretly funneling a lot of money into Hollywood. There's a lot of allegations, um, around like the drug and sex trafficking of the United States government and of the military at the time saying that they laundered a lot of their money through Hollywood Mm-hmm. Especially during like Vietnam and stuff like that where allegedly, which is, you know, more more than I, I would say pretty true, soldiers would basically steal heroin from the natives or from the people in, you know, in Vietnam, in the East, in mm-hmm. Asia. They would send it back to the United States. They would sell it and they would ship that cash over to Los Angeles and they would yep. use that to... Fund all these movies and then, you know, they would have the money clean then. That's why you find so many government people, uh, you know, involved in the, uh, the upper levels of these different production houses and shit like that.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: So when you get into like Vietnam, especially, that was a weird one because everyone was on drugs in general, but also there's so much money going around but the government was very, very heavily involved in everything that we were doing and everything uh, that we were, we were portraying in film. So again, they were having Hollywood people do very obvious promotion and commercials for the war effort or, you know, for America's position, but also in all the films, we were always the good guy. We were always, you know, the hero. And if any story went against that, it got kind of squashed out when we, When we get a little later on into like Desert Storm, and then especially, you know, in the quote War on Terror and all the Middle East stuff, starting in the 90s, especially when you have a movie that has to have any type of military equipment, like planes, Mm -hmm. uh, boats, tanks, any of that, like really big hardware. That is all owned by the United States military, the various branches. And in order to get that, you have to go through the Pentagon to do it. So what ends up happening is these big name directors and these producers submit their scripts to the Pentagon and to the Department of Defense and things like that. And they say, hey, we're shooting this fucking movie. We need... You know, we need to rent a fucking a battleship for two days to film these like five scenes, and then the government would say, "Okay, that's cool, but we need to take but a look how do at you."
0: Look, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: we need to take a look at the script and see what's mm. going on. So, like, when you get into movies like Transformers, and like any like explicit war movie, any movie that has like any war guys, like soldier dudes in it, all of that goes. Across the desk of someone in the Pentagon or in the Department of Defense, because it has to be okayed by them in order to rent out the equipment. And the only way they're going to okay the renting out of the equipment is if it follows the American military agenda. And so you have these things with like Spielberg and like Ben Affleck and like all and like Tom Clancy was a big one. Like all Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson, all these people who had made war movies or who were involved in like war films, all had to meet you know, American military personnel, like high up guys, and they basically use them as film executives in order Mm -hmm. to get the scripts okayed. So everything had to follow a very clear message.
0: And a very clean message as well. And that's like why I bring up Walt Disney all the time, because he was actually hired from Hollywood to clean up their image in order to appease a greater mass. So We look at the Disney Corporation, we look at Walt and we're like, damn, what a nice guy. You know, he could do no harm, but he actually trained all of his employees to make sure that that's what his image looked like. So he could sell Disney as an image versus Mm -hmm. like a person. And so what Hollywood did for America was a huge bar campaign towards the masses being like, look at how great our country is. I (laughs) I kid you not. I used to have friends and I probably still have some like older family members that will quote Hollywood movies in reference to historical accuracy. Yep, And that blows my mind because once again, if you can make people re respond to a different reality than what they're actually experiencing, um, you can control their behavior. And so that's what was really going on was like, Hollywood was a huge PR campaign to make us look like the greatest country. Mm -hmm. We were always meant to look like the top dog in the military, the most powerful, the most um, rich. Um, And and that's, that's kind of what interests me the most, is their ability to hook people and brainwash them on a mass level and be like, look at how great we are. Look at how powerful. And also if you go against us in any way or in our image, you're a terrorist. Um, I think that that's kind of what's going on currently, right? Because we were talking about in the last episode that our current president, DJT, is basically signing or wants to sign this bill or law, um, basically saying that if you are anti-fascist, you are a terrorist. Or if you are affiliated with he calls it a group, however, it's an ideology, anti-fascism, then you are also deemed a terrorist. And this is so normalized in conversation because of the decades of preconditioning that we've had as children through through television and Mm -hmm. through music and through film. And I think that is like the biggest takeaway for this is that if you ingest this material and digest it, that's kind of what's going to be your reality. You're going to be divided and films and music, um, have successfully divided masses into those who question the narrative and those who believe and conform to it. Um, and that's why war movies are so interesting and not even war movies, right? We could talk about AI and certain sci-fi, cyberpunk, post-apocalyptic films that were really popularized in the seventies and eighties. Um, even the most recent ones, such as you know, iRobot, or older ones like Equilibrium or Code, um, what was it Code Forty Three, wasn't a really interesting one as well. But the yeah, the main takeaway is that you have. We have this built loyalty, to an entertainment industry, that is actually just hour or two hour or three hour long advertisements. That's it. Um, and these advertisements are not just pushing, you know, companies, they're pushing ideologies and they're pushing beliefs and they're pushing belief systems onto very controlled and calculated crowds so that they could have a controlled and calculated outcome, because all of this has been tested. Um, I. I also, you know, wanted to talk about maybe your thoughts on like preconditioning and pre-programming because I know that that's kind of what war movies do. Walt Disney worked with Warner Von Braun, which yes, we did talk about this in a previous episode, um, and they literally Walt Disney released films, 20 to be exact, on on, on training, like military training cartoons, and. The public disliked this because they thought it was communistic. They thought that there was like way too much propaganda in it. But I think it's the FCC as well as the Pentagon released it anyway. And so when masses questioned it, a lot of people were silenced. And then their PR company came in and swept up the pieces to make them look gleaming and perfect again. It's very, very interesting. Um, But yeah, I wanted your take on um, specifically, have you seen Equilibrium with Uh, uh, Ty or Tay Diggs and um, Christian Bale? I don't know. I'm going to give a very quick synopsis because it's um, pertinent to the events happening right now. Basically, we are in a brave new world type setting and the government is totalitarian and they have come to the conclusion that emotions are the things that lead to war emotions and having feelings are actually the things that lead to our demise so they've mandated this drug that humans take multiple times daily in order to suppress those emotions and to suppress those feelings if you go against the government and you don't take your pills and you acquire your sense of feeling and your sense of emoting again you're called a sense offender and the phonetic similarities between that and sex offender are very obvious and intentional. Um, and in this, in this world, they believe that if you get angry and you act upon that anger, then you're a sinner. So they've kind of, I know brave new world, they had Soma where you kind of get rid of all negative emotions and you only experience happiness and bliss in equilibrium, it's, it's kind of the opposite, but it's more so just a complete dismissal of emotions altogether. Um, but that's it, it's really interesting because um, we are seeing a society in which we are very desensitized. And it's interesting how censorship is at an all-time high But at the same time and in the same breath, these people who are controlling what is censored and what isn't censored are the same ones that are pushing out hyper sexualized media and hyper violent media to very young crowds Um, going back. And I'm going to talk about Disney a lot because he he kind of had a really big hand in brainwashing children and kind of getting them at the start We talked about this too, um, like Masons, right? Like I know Mason, whatever they're bullshit, but it's interesting how they have like this specific thing for children, kind of like Christians too, Christian science, like all these very strange religions and, um, schools of thought have daycares and schools and curriculums set up specifically for children. And, um, you got to break that mold of thought. But anyway, um, Yeah, so Disney was very heavily involved in... um, I totally just like lost my train of thought also, by the way. (laughs) What what I'm trying to say is everything is a commercial. And we are intentionally desensitized at a very young age uh, in order to kind of tap into this primal, animalistic, competitive spirit um, in order to, uh, I don't know attack your neighbor and not necessarily um, team up with your neighbors. And we can talk that on like a micro sense, like in your own neighborhoods, or we can talk that on a macro sense, like countries and being against Soviet, you know, the Soviet Union or being against China or Iraq or Iran. But all of these ideas and these weird hatreds were planted there, were really planted there.
1: Yeah, if you yeah. if you look at like a history of the bad guy in American cinema and recently in American television cuz what up until maybe the 80s or the 90s TV was kind of like a throwaway, right? For the yeah. most part it was a lot of like sitcom stuff and then like with the uh with the rise of like HP HBO and then you get prestige television and then it's just long form movies and stuff like that. But mainly with movies, if you look at it, like between the period of world war II up until the beginnings of the Vietnam conflict, the bad guy, if it's an international film is always going to be a German or it's always going to be a Nazi and stuff like that. Right. And then when you get into more like cold war territory, It's all Russians. It's always going to be the Russian bad guy. The bad guy syndicate is always, 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 always the Russians. And then once the Cold War was over and Desert Storm starts happening, now it's always going to be Middle Eastern terrorists. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially when you got into the, you know, the mid 2000s and the 2010s and stuff. The bad guy is always some Al Qaeda esque group. Because what they're doing is they're they're really trying to get it from every angle that, like, here are America's enemies, here are the bad guys. And mm-hmm. the easiest way to push the uh, military-industrial complex narrative is to hit you from all sides. And they know, as Americans, everyone watches fucking TV and everyone watches fucking movies. So anytime there's a bad guy, anytime there's any type of, like, evil plot that needs to be fixed... The hero is always some chiseled, jawed American soldier, and the villain is (laughs) always going to be some, like, old Middle Eastern dude wearing Mm -hmm. a fucking turban and wearing, like, robes with a big bushy beard. Like, it's it's all very, very out in the open, honestly. It is. And, And even, like... As kids, like there's Disney cartoons where the bad guys are supposed to be like the Huns or like these, you know, these European dudes with like the spiky helmets and stuff. And they have German Mm -hmm. accents and then it Mm -hmm. it switches to, you know, Russian stuff. And then during Vietnam, like there's like weird racist stereotypes of like Asian men. Like it's whoever our enemy is at the time is always going to be the bad guy in our in our visual media that's what it's always going to be because it's it's a very easy way for us to get the point across and so what then happens is the american military can throw some money to hollywood to get this subliminal advertising like there's a aside from like the the blatant military stuff like the moon landing thing too is important in this context of Hollywood because the, the general theory of the fake moon landing goes somewhere along the lines of Stanley Kubrick shot the fake moon landing footage in exchange for basically carte blanche to make his movies and yep. to use the crazy filmmaking techniques that the government had and to use all their equipment and essentially... Going back to the idea that like if you were talking about government shit or like secret shit, you had to get it okayed by the government or the, you know, the new world order, the whatever. And so the idea that Stanley Kubrick wanted to make like Eyes Wide Shut or 2001 A Space Odyssey. And they were like, you can't fucking do this. You're talking about too much crazy shit. We don't want this out in people's minds. And then they came to the agreement of. Look, I'll make the fake moon landing shit in exchange for being able to make my goddamn movies. And that's sort of what a lot of people believe happened and I'm I'm kind of in that camp too. Yeah and, yeah and that exchange has allegedly been happening pretty consistently since then, where especially like in modern times where you have these like really intense, um, like war movies and the idea of like uh, film awards and shit is also some yeah. very weird propaganda it's, shit too because it's very
0: I, like, idolizing it kind of puts these celebrities in like a godlike demigod status
1: yeah I mean it's it's a controlled group of people saying here's the good shit that everyone needs to watch right so here's the Oscar mm-hmm. contenders here's the here's the the shit that everyone needs to see because it's the best film of the year. And a lot of times it's going to be very politically charged. And the political message is always going to be something that has to do with American, normally American foreign policy. So it's like Zero Dark Thirty, like uh really made it seem like American torture methods were okay.
0: Exactly. You know, yeah. so
1: you you have these these things happen a lot like what homeland won a bunch of awards and that's like about like a radical Islam and like domestic terrorism and like mm-hmm. how the good guys always went. Like it's always going to be something like that. When yeah. like or fucking what American Sniper, that horseshit movie like Mm-hmm. they're always going to try and push these narratives of like the American hero and the foreign bad guy.
0: And, and also what's being pushed really radically is like the methods of torture and, and how they're just like talked away and supported and accepted because we're getting information. This is for the country. <laughs> this is for our protection. This is, you know, so like the, um, and I don't know, the idea of torture is so pushed on people um, I was reading too, like about Zero Dark Thirty, and how that was basically to normalize the okayness of torture. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what the fuck? Why? Are, why is this okay? And why is no one questioning this?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a big part of that movie is justifiable torture. Yep. And and those type of movies uh, spring up periodically. Like we will have a movie that depicts Americans doing crazy shit. But the ends always justify the means. And then it's, it goes back to a lot of that, like esoteric contract that people on that level sign where they let you know what they're doing in film or, you know, in wherever they, they hide it somewhere. But it's somewhere that everyone can see. And then by you seeing it or them, you know, telling you in their own way, then they're absolved from like the sin or the bad karma of it. Mm -hmm. So we have Mm -hmm. all these movies like now that are being made depicting like World War One and World War Two and all these like crazy conflicts that we've been in. And they depict really, really, really crazy shit that has happened. And what they're doing is they're admitting to their crimes but through confessing in this visual medium, they don't have to admit that they're really doing anything. And also they're absolved from any guilt because through their twisted logic, they're coming clean. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the military, um, going back to what I was saying, too, about uh, Walt Disney creating 20 military training videos like cartoons. He got paid by the military to do that. Yeah. I know I'm just like kind of repeating myself, but I think that's just because that's fucking crazy. And we've really been normal- normalized to accept it. We've been preconditioned to accept it. Um, we talk a lot about war, but there's also this idea of acceptance of AI and artificial intelligence as as service robots to us. Um, you know, Alexa was so pushed, and like go- the Google glasses and the, the Snapchat glasses, and all of these different things that were kind of sensationalized were talked about decades and decades ago. And um, one movie in particular, like I Robot, uh, the three rules in the beginning, right? It's like no, no robot can harm a human, but also um, we can like save them from himself if they if that human wants to bring themselves harm. Um, rule two, like you have to be in complete servitude uh of this human and you have to abide by their wish if it doesn't like go against rule one. And I forget what the rule three was here. Let me look it up. Oh no, it's gone. But basically what that movie was showing was and and proving and also teaching and conditioning humans to do was to compromise all of your freedoms and your rights in order to implement a more protective society. Right. So now we have these service and servitude robots that are assisting us in our everyday life. Wow. How kind. Right. But in that movie, the A.I. overlord that was overlooking a lot of everything, actually, um, basically said, like, well, we had to save humans from themselves because you guys were doing this and being sinful and causing war and yada, yada, yada. Um, But what that movie was showing is that we're kind of bringing about this conditioning of a police state um, and being okay with a police state and, like, having that as the only inevitable outcome, right? Because, like, if you can deceive masses, like, what deception does is it removes any path of um, a different solution. And what Hollywood tends to do is provide the only solution – And I want to remind listeners again that the Bilderberg committees and U.N. military, they all have really big hands in what is shown to masses. Um, Even Pythagoras, what did he say? Pythagoras said there is geometry in the humming of strings. And what that really means is that if you can control a pattern of a rhythm in film or entertainment, you can control the way people, you know, bob their heads to it in a very simultaneous zombie-like fashion. And um, yeah, iRobot was an interesting one to me um, because it was like, we love and serve and will protect our humans. And there are so many movies, I don't even know where to start, in the 80s that were being released around AI and around human And AI hybrids and around this, like, love that's kind of forbidden, but also is inevitable. Um, I don't know. That's something also that is important to me to show people that, like, I don't know, not even don't buy an Alexa, but don't buy into the thought that AI is the next revolutionary step. I remember reading about transhumanism when I was in high school, and that's really relevant now more than ever um and it is and it is because of hollywood and just like the way they've introduced things to us
1: yeah yeah exactly when you look at the movies surrounding like the topics of like robotics or also when it talks about like aliens and stuff like that um it becomes a way to control the narrative to where now Everyone's idea, not everyone, most people's idea of what an alien is comes from a movie or it comes from Mm -hmm. a TV show, right? Mm -hmm. And the same thing with with robots. Like you talk about like Asimov's like rules of robotics and and stuff like that. Like Mm -hmm. the idea of what artificial intelligence will be, what it will do, how it will function all comes from the collective understanding of Hollywood movies, yeah. And it's this way for these ideas to be introduced very slowly and very consistently. And so like like imagine being a child when like ET came out.
0: Yeah, exactly. And how yeah. crazy
1: that whole premise was.
0: That movie scared the shit out of me. I haven't seen it yet because it's so scary to me.
1: Oh, really? <laughs> but like when you see these like old uh like alien movies basically like seeing that for the first time would freak you the fuck out but now we're so used to it and so desensitized to it because it's so commonplace
0: Mm -hmm.
1: our entire idea of what an alien would be has been molded by hollywood by the you know by the media in that way and they Mm -hmm. do the same thing with robots and and anything that is coming or could be coming. Like the idea is implanted in us through, you know, through the movie media, through, through television media and stuff like that. So they really try to get ahead of themselves and sort of push a lot of the narrative stuff. Like for instance, when you get into like the idea of the future, right. When The floating cars and the maglev trains and the all of that type of futuristic imagery Mm -hmm. was created and pushed by Hollywood, Mm -hmm. you know? And so this is the idea that people have for the future. This like Blade Runner imagery like is all created by Hollywood. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so now this is what we all expect. This is now what we all want. This is what we all think will be progress because we saw it in a movie. Yeah, and they know that that's the way that these things work, and it's it's a very very powerful, I don't know it it's it's a very powerful tool
0: that yes, they're using,
1: it and it's a very easy way to program people by subconsciously conditioning them to say this is what the future will look like, this is what a robot will do, this is what aliens will do, this is what war yeah. looks like. America's always the good guy in the war, you know. And that's just kind of how, how all that stuff really works.
0: Yeah. And, um, and going back to like what I always fucking talk about, I know y'all are probably sick of hearing this from me, but we're projectors, right? So whether or not you've dropped DMT or ayahuasca or whatever, like you in some sense will at a point in your life be like, Holy shit, everything is a reflection of, of my, in, in my internal environment. So You know, if you eat McDonald's and you consistently buy into food deserts and you go to the corner store and you do this and that constantly, not that I'm blaming anyone, I've like I've been there, I get that shit, but that's what your reality is going to project. So let's say someone invested twenty trillion dollars into a film about how our future is going to look, and then they do that over and over and Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. That is the reality that we will project. And going back into magic and sex magic and contagion magic, contractual magic, this, these are how these contracts work. Whether you believe in magic or not, that's fine. But the people that create these films do believe in this type of magic. And what that magic basically claims is that, hey, if you can unlock certain aspects of yourself, you can control your reality but let's say that that knowledge or that gnosis was hidden from masses, which it was and it is, and used against us to constantly make masses work for the top 1%. That's kind of what's going on. Also, you were talking about how fucking terrifying E.T. was. It's so scary to the point where me, an adult, cannot I cannot watch that film because it's just freaky as hell. But that's the point, right? They put horror aspects... And kind of make them into this light-hearted romp <laughs> about a child alien and their friend, blah blah blah, their friendship. But that's the point, because Stockholm Syndrome and, and trauma porn works. That is what MK Ultra is based on. That's why Hollywood indoctrinates very young children as child actors. And that's why they traumatize them. And that's why they do awful, awful things to these children in order to break the psyche and in order to create altars or alter, right? And if you have these different altars, you can basically be anyone or anything that you want. Look at Michael Jackson. Look at Britney Spears. Look at all these like celebrities that we are totally all of their stories are shoved down our throats. Mm -hmm. Um, Trauma works, and that's what Hollywood is doing. And that's why Walt Disney was hired you know, the man of magic himself was hired by Hollywood to be like, Hey, can you traumatize these children, but at the same time captivate them and make them so interested that they'll come back to be traumatized some more? Why the fuck do you think people like horror movies, right? Horror is such an interesting genre, too, because It's the decay of thought. And that's kind of what freaks us out is like this death and life paradigm that we're freaked out about. We don't really want to have conversations about. But if you have very, very, very rich filmmakers and they're very high rolling donors (laughs) assisting them in their projects, they'll be like, how can we control masses better? Oh, let's traumatize the hell out of them. But in a film that they really want to come back and see again. It is mass Stockholm syndrome. That is what we're seeing.
1: Yeah. And you bring up the trauma stuff and that's something that we, in the last, like, you know, these last 10 minutes, we should probably cover. Um,
0: Yeah.
1: There's a lot of like really fucked up stuff socially that happens. Um, in Hollywood and also like surrounding the film industry. And it's, it's been happening the entire time, um, that there has mm-hmm. been a film industry in America. A lot of the early people who were involved, like the talent were, you know, it's a lot of runaways. It's a lot of uh, damaged artistic type of people who are very easily manipulated by, you know, by rich people and, and things like or that.
0: children, mm-hmm. Their parents, like, like Shirley Temple, for example.
1: Yeah a lot of vulnerable people found themselves drawn to the, the glimmery shimmery lights of Hollywood. And Mm -hmm. as such, very easily were victimized by people either in the industry or around the industry. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of people who, you know, end up trying to get to Hollywood to be a a superstar. You know, a lot of them turned to, drug culture or like sex worker culture to make ends meet because they're stuck in that area Mm -hmm. and ever since Hollywood became a thing like you were saying the Sin City stuff it's always been this hedonistic area it's always Mm -hmm. been synonymous with like almost a uh, bacchanalian pleasure in this way to where like, whatever you want, you can get it here and no one will stop you because Hollywood controls a town and Hollywood needs to keep the money flowing and they yeah. need to keep people happy. So, you know, if you work for if you're an actor who has a contract with a studio and you're drunk driving and you hit someone with your car, the studio makes it go away. If mm-hmm. you're an actor and you're contracted out by a studio and you you get a prostitute pregnant, they make that problem go away. If you are, you know, hanging out with someone underage and they OD and die, they make that problem go away. The entire film industry for a very long time was just completely riddled with these type of scandals, but it never really went anywhere because they controlled a lot of California legislation. They especially controlled a lot of local legislation. Mm -hmm. And with that, the systematic abuse became habitual and generational. So you have a lot of people and... I don't really want to get into a lot of like uh, testimonials from from Hollywood people. Like, if you want to look that mm-hmm. up, please do it on your own. Like, there's so many people you can look at, but like a decent example is like Charlie Sheen and uh, Corey Feldman and a lot of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. To where you have these very very famous, literally lifelong Hollywood stars. You know, they were childhood stars who have continued to get work in their fucking what 50s 60s how old are those motherfuckers
0: yeah. yeah
1: and that whole class of actor almost all of them have stories of producers and directors and older actors you know molesting them and raping raping them having sex with them giving them drugs at a very young age them you know getting addicted to alcohol at a young age, like fucking Drew Barrymore was like in rehab for Coke at like 13 or some crazy shit. Her
0: parents like introduced her to drugs.
1: Yeah. And that stuff was all very common then. And then it becomes Mm -hmm. so ingrained in you from that age and in that environment that then when you become a a, a young adult, then you start doing the same things to the new younger crowd. You know, so that's a lot of stuff with, you know, people or not people like Corey Feldman says that like, you know, Charlie Sheen like abused him and Corey Haim, like when he was what in his late teens, early twenties. And they were like, they're like maybe even teenagers. Like they were pretty young. And these type of stories are very common then because it was so laissez faire with sex and drug stuff. Everyone Mm -hmm. was fucked up the whole time. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about that sort of like artistic atmosphere before, like where these people have a lot of money and not a lot to do. So they get involved in drugs and they get involved in, you know, sex stuff like sex experimentation. And a lot of them also get involved with like the occult because it's very fashionable. That's why you have so many people who are Freemasons in the, in the movie industry. You have like so many cults, are based around Los Angeles or, you know, the greater Los Angeles area because all these people are very vulnerable and they're high as Mm -hmm. fuck. And they're just looking for the next party or they're looking for somewhere to fit in. So that atmosphere attracts Both people who prey on the weak and also it attracts a lot of very weak people because they've been conditioned through Hollywood to think that these are the cool people. This is what I need to do to get ahead. The only thing that matters is being famous. What do I do to get famous? Mm -hmm. I pack up my entire life and I move to L.A. Oh, I can't. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be an actress. I guess I'll be a waitress. And, you know, and then that's just how the city sustains itself. Yeah, But the cycle of abuse is very real and it's very rampant and it's been going on for the entire time that Hollywood's been a thing. You can go back as far as you want and there will always be abused child stars. You know, there's always going to be like, like homosexual scandals was a really big thing, like with Marlon Brando and and, um, Mm -hmm. James Dean and all these guys. Like mm-hmm. it, and there's nothing wrong with, with exploring your sexuality, but you know.
0: No, no, no. But I was, yeah, no, keep going. But there's something actually to homosexuality and the way that it's pushed and the way that like Planned Parenthood and the council of that team were actually like a plan, uh, a team of eugenicists that were like, if we push homosexuality through film and entertainment and through music, we can actually control the population even better. So that's what I'm looking for. But no, it is important to say that.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really big thing. And that was another way to control people. Um, A very good movie to sort of see the soft underpinnings of this way of control is it's a Coen Brothers movie that I just saw recently called Hail Caesar. It's kind of newer, but it, it literally is, you know, George Clooney as a movie star getting kidnapped by a bunch of communists to blackmail the studio for money. But then there's a side story where George Clooney's caught up in a homosexual scandal. And so the studio kind of like owns his image. Yeah. And that was something that was very prevalent back then was the studios knew everything about your life. And they were these huge blackmail machines. Yeah. So very similar to a lot of the Epstein stuff that's happening now or you know that should be happening now that happened a little while ago. Where what happens is you go to a party and you get super fucked up and you do some drugs and you're feeling real good. Next thing you know, you're having sex with, uh, you know, someone of the same gender as you or whatever. Or you're having sex with a child or with like having an orgy or whatever. And they take pictures or there's people there. Next thing you know, people are like, hey, like I saw you at the orgy yesterday. It'd be a shame if your wife found out about it. I guess you're going to do these movies for us now, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was a way for them to really control people. They would put you in these precarious situations. And as soon as you fuck up, they would immediately be like, we own you now. That was especially big during the Red Scare. That's why there was so much uh, communist uh, paranoia around Hollywood, because there were a lot of writers who were very sympathetic towards communist ideals, but also... Mm -hmm they could plant that on almost anyone. And if you didn't want to get deported or fucking jailed or whatever, then now you have to play ball with anything that the people in Hollywood want.
0: Yeah. You know, what's so crazy about communism too, is that after world war II, Walt Disney was actually called upon by Hollywood to testify before congressmen who believed that there was too much communist affiliation and infiltration in Hollywood. So it's like, (laughs) It's like this crazy back and forth of being like, well, we're going to put this in here, but also there's too much of it. It was just like this weird balance of like trying to brainwash people into like anti-communism. But yeah, that was that was so rampant. And also, um, yeah, uh, blackmail is is a very interesting thing, too. Um, I don't know. I think also like going back to the I'm not going to push the whole homosexual queer trans thing, because I feel like that's a whole conspiracy in itself that I would love to explore, but it might be too edgy for the times. I don't know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) John D. Rockefeller, who started the Population Council, was actually a huge eugenicist. And he literally said, eugenics goals are most likely to be achieved under another name than eugenics. So he went on to develop Planned Parenthood and the term family planning. And within this, His goals were to restructure the family um, and encourage increased homosexuality and and transvestitism or whatever. The words that were, you know, PC at the time, whatever. But he like pushed all this shit. And so that's very interesting because now we're seeing such a huge trend and like all these Netflix shows um, showing like queer kids ruling the city in a post-apocalyptic scene. Um, It is. It's like it's, it's there's trauma porn all over the way all over the world, and especially in Hollywood, they know how well trauma works to recondition a brain and to break down the psyche and to rebuild it into what you want to see. And if you want to, you know, create some type of Manchurian candidate that doesn't necessarily assassinate, but will kind of kill the role that they're playing, um, that, that's like the, the, the ultimate control. Right
1: there, yeah, one of the interesting things that have been happening recently is the popularity of like post apocalyptic movies and also like zombie movies and then one of the first things that happened during the coronavirus stuff is people started comparing it to zombie movies and these <laughs> you know end of the world movies and stuff, but that engine sound outside means that we're out an hour and we're yeah, we're done exactly. with the the free episode so. <laughs> Thank you guys for, for listening. Um, please like and subscribe. We've been getting some more some more listeners, um, so we really appreciate that. But if you can, like, tell your friends, give us a good review, stuff like that. We have a Patreon. You can find it by just searching our name uh, for five bucks a month. You get the Discord chat and premium episodes that we do every week where it's a little more loosey-goosey. Um, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it and we will talk to you next week.
0: Yeah. Thanks guys. See you later.